glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see the pictures last week? NASA released the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope, and they were just awe-inspiring. They took a tiny part of the heavens. If you took a grain of sand and you held it at arm's length, that little grain of, grain of sand is the area of the heavens that they focused on. And when the photos were released, we saw the glory of God in that tiny little section of the heavens, thousands upon thousands of distant galaxies, billions of light years away. And as we Christians look on that glory, we're reminded of our brother David in Psalm 8, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The infinite power of God the infinite divine glory and majesty of God are clearly perceived in the things that are made. And man sees it in the creation around us. And man sees it in the creation that he is. God has set eternity in the heart of man. And so when man sees creation... And he sees himself created in the image of God. And he sees that he has a certain sense of what is right and wrong, that he is created with a conscience. And all of those things that are revealed in general revelation leave man without an excuse. To those who are outside of Christ, the word of God comes and says, you know God. And you know that he ought to be worshipped and your judgment will be just if you do not turn from your sin and turn to him and worship him. That's general revelation. But then you remember at the end of Article 2 of the Belgic, where we confess what Scripture teaches, that second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word as far as is necessary for us in this life to his glory and our salvation. So God gives us way more than the glory we see in creation. He gives us the written word, the scriptures. Now eternal life is to know the only true God, the Father in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And saving knowledge of God is only possible through the word of God. In the creation, we know God enough to leave us convicted and without excuse. But to be saved, we need special revelation. We need the written word of God. And that Bi the Bible is that fully confirmed prophetic word to which we will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. It overflows with his precious and very great promises. And that's why the Word of God is the most precious treasure that we have on earth here. 
You are what you eat. And so a steady diet of spiritual and intellectual junk food of this world, feeding on the lies and the deception, the vain philosophies, the truths twisted and perverted, more and more will lead you to reflect the character and the spirit of the prince of darkness and the father of lies. But if you are like that person in Psalm 1 that seminarian Faustin preached on a few weeks ago, and if you're drinking deeply from the word of God and you are feeding on the bread of heaven, the way, the truth, and the life, the more you drink in the word, the more you reflect the character and spirit of the Father of lights, the King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word is the way that we come to know God. And as we read there in, in, in the chapter that we read from Peter's letter, we, we come to be like him as we know him more and more. And so it's vital to understand what the word is. We look at the universe. It was spoken into existence. All things were created through Christ. In him all things hold together. It is not the work of man. There's nothing in the created universe that we can say that we brought into existence. And the same holds true for the word of God. The word of God did not come by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book, 40 different authors, written on three different continents, over more than two millennia, in three different languages, but one unified message. One revelation with a divine unity. No book comes close to this book. You can spend a lifetime reading it, and you can always dig deeper, and you can always learn more, because this book, being the Word of God, reflects the very character of God. And we confess in Lord's Day 7 that true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. We don't pick and choose the parts that we want or that we like because it's not a human book. It's not even part human, part divine. But what does the scripture say? Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not one word in this book was the result of some guy saying, you know, I think people need to know this or hear this. This is what I want them to do or to think or to say. But they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the words they said and the words they wrote down were breathed out by God himself. And so we have the complete Word of God in our hands. And I wonder if we understand what an indescribable privilege that is. You know, sometimes we think, wow, wouldn't it be great to live back in the Bible times when suddenly an angel will appear and talk to you? Or when God would come to you in a vision? 
Wouldn't that be so awesome? And the answer is no. God's people were not better off back then. Don't think that God was often revealing himself of old. There were more revelations at special moments in redemptive history, at significant inflection points, transitions from one state to another in the history of redemption. Then God would send more prophecies and visions, and there would be more special revelations. But they were, they were limited, usually, to certain times. And then often, usually, to a select few. Often, the judges or the kings, the priests, and the prophets but God's people, on the whole, in the Old Testament dispensation, even in the time of the New Testament when it wasn't fully written yet, they did not have the access to the Word of God that we have. We have the whole Word of God written and recorded, and we can carry it with us wherever we go. We can listen to it as we drive. We can have it in our hands whenever we want to read it. Now God, in his special care for us and our salvation, commanded the Old Testament prophets to commit his revealed word to writing. And that's why it's called the Holy Scriptures, because Scripture means something written. And if you look through the Bible, you see how important that is, that something is written, that it be written, that it is written, that it is the word of God. There's a reason for that. Because you know what happens when things are passed on orally, when people say things from person to person, from generation to generation, then it becomes a game of telephone. And you know how that game works. You have a circle of people and you whisper a sentence into the ear of the person next to you. And when it gets around the room and comes back to you, often the sentence has been totally changed because people make mistakes. They mishear, they misspeak. Well, when something is written, it can be kept the same way from person to person to generation to generation. And we see that in God's special providence, that the, the Jews, for instance, were so meticulous in recording the Holy Scripture, the Old Testament, that if there was one little letter or part of a letter that was wrong, they would take that scroll and they would they would put it into the wall and put mortar, mortar up the hole in the wall. They, would, they wouldn't destroy it. It was the word of God, but it was, had a mistake in it, so they wouldn't use it. They would put it aside, and they would try again. And so we have thousands of years of meticulous letter-by-letter letter accuracy in keeping the word of God exactly as it was. And we have the same care in the New Testament documents as well. And so God has, in his providence, been very, very careful to make sure that we have the exact word of God. It hasn't changed over the centuries and the millennia. It started with him writing with his own finger on the two tables of the law. Then he tells Moses, write down the things that you have heard on the mountain. And Moses writes the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, recorded at the command of God, written down. And in the Old Testament times, the kings of Israel had to make their own copy of the law. They had to write down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy so that they had their own personal copy. 
and they had to read it all the days of their life. Take a look there at Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 for a second. 17, 18. These are laws concerning Israel's kings. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and by doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel. Now, the Old Testament is often divided into three parts, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the, the Jewish acronym for that is the Tanakh, T-N-K, Tanakh. And as we look at each section of the Old Testament, we see that God testifies that they are inspired by his Spirit. You look, for instance, at Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2. Jeremiah 30, verse 2. And here the Lord says to Jeremiah, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. So the book of Jeremiah that we have is a result of the direct command of God. Write down the prophecy, record it for later generations. Then turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 28, verse 25. Acts 28, verse 25. Sorry, I think I've got the wrong... Uh... I've got the wrong reference here. Let's, let's turn instead to, to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews 3, verse 7, where the Scripture says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, so here the apostle says the Holy Spirit is saying this, then he quotes Psalm 95. He quotes a psalm, that is in the Old Testament, and says this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Then turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 and 2. Here's, here's what David says about his own writing. Look at verse 2 there. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. David wrote his Psalms in the knowledge that it was the, the Spirit of God that was lifting him up and carrying him along. That was the breath of God breathing out and speaking the words that he was writing down. And so we could multiply the examples, but suffice it to say that the, the Bible makes very clear that the entire Old Testament is inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God. It is the revelation of God. It is the word of God. It is not some human perspective or record or mythology, but it is holy scripture. And all of it is revealing the need for Christ and the coming of Christ. If you turn in your Bible to 1 Peter 1 verse 10, 1 Peter 1 verse 10, where the apostle writes this, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now look at that verse and notice something here. The Old Testament prophets, they had the Holy Spirit, they had the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in them who was giving them the words to speak and the words to write, and they would ask God, what does this mean? They didn't always understand the full import of what they were saying. And God said to them, listen, you don't need to know everything. It's for us. It's for the New Testament church. They will have a fuller understanding of the things that you are seeing. But it is God who is working in these prophets by his Holy Spirit. And so God made the world through Christ, and God reveals the Word through Christ. It's all about Christ, his person, his work, his sufferings, and his subsequent glories. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself was acutely aware of this. If you turn, or if you look in in Luke 24, verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44, he's speaking after his resurrection to the disciples. And in Luke 24, 44, this is what he says. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you look at that verse, Moses, prophets, Psalms, Moses is the Pentateuch, first five books. The prophets is the prophetic books, which includes also Samuel and Kings and books like that. And then the Psalms is the third section, the writing. So it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those writings. So it's the three sections, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And Jesus said, it's all about me, everything written about me. And then turn to John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. John 5, 46 and 47 where the Lord says this to the Pharisees, if you believe Moses, Moses is the Old Testament, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so Christ himself makes clear that the entire Old Testament is inspired by the Spirit of God and that it all tells us, it all points us to him. And so when you see the Lord Jesus Christ begin his ministry there in Matthew chapter 4, the very first thing that he does is he gets driven into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. You remember how he reacts to the devil's temptations. He doesn't say, well, the devil doesn't come and say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you eat the, make the stone turn to bread? And, and the Lord Jesus doesn't respond by saying, well, I, I think this and I think that. He could have. He's God. He has every right to say whatever he wants. But every time the devil comes at him, the Lord Jesus resists him by saying, it is written. Now, if Jesus does that, how much more we? Because when Jesus says anything, it is the word of God. But he goes back to the scriptures. He had the ability to say truth apart from what is written. We don't. 
But he went to the Scriptures. How much more should we not do the same thing? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is telling us something here. That's how you deal with attacks. That's how you deal with temptations. That's how you deal with trials. It is written. It is written. It is written. You go back to the Word. Back to the Word. That's life. To know God in his word, to take God at his word, to serve God according to his word. It's all here. This is how we come to know him and to know how to live in him and for him. Now, the scripture says in the beginning of Hebrews that there was a development in the way that God revealed his word to his people. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so, first you had thousands of years of people talking about Christ, inspired by the Spirit. And then you have Christ himself coming and speaking in person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. After thousands of years of the Word preached and prophesied, now the Word is here in the flesh. After thousands of years of God's word saying, Christ is coming, Christ is coming, this is who he will be, this is what he will do, he came. And so there's no more talking about him. There's no more spirit of Christ speaking through the prophets, but now Christ himself speaks. And so we have the gospels as we now move into the New Testament, we have the gospels historical testimonies and records of Christ's teaching in his words and acts. This is the Lord Jesus himself speaking his word into this world. And then he ascends and he goes up into heaven. But he, he sends his spirit not to not to exalt himself. The spirit doesn't come to exalt himself, to give all kinds of new special revelations but what is the role of the Spirit? We'll hear more about that this afternoon from seminarian Faustin. But take a look at uh, John chapter 14, verse 26 for a moment. John 14, verse 26. And see what the, what the role of the Spirit is. Fourteen twenty-six. the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There's the promise. The promise isn't that the Spirit's going to give you all kinds of new and novel revelations. The promise is that the Spirit will come to remind you of what Christ, the Word, has said. That's what the Spirit's role is remind us of the words of Christ. And look there in John 16, verses 13 through to 15, just flipping the page there. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's role is to reveal to us the Christ and to remind us of the Christ and to help us bring to remembrance what the Christ has said and taught. And that's why when the apostles received the Holy Spirit and when they were full of the Holy Spirit, what did they do? Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 31, if you have your Bible handy there, Acts 4, 31. Here's the apostolic church gathered in worship. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what are they going to do? Are they going to climb the walls? Are they going to swing from the chandeliers? Are they going to come up with all kinds of strange new teachings? No. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness, because that's what the Spirit does. Where the Spirit is, in power, there you will hear the Word of God in power. The Spirit and the Word are never separated. They're always to be found together. So when they received the Spirit, they spoke the Word of God. When they preached in the power of the Spirit, they preached the Word of God. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where the scripture says this, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, this is the apostolic preaching, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. When they were full of the Spirit, they preached the Word of God. When they preached, they, they preached the Word of God. And when they wrote, they wrote the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. Turn to 2 Peter 3.16 now. 2 Peter 3.16. And see how Peter refers to Paul's writings. 2 Peter 3.16, that's page 1019 in many ESV Bibles. Look at verse 15, first of all. Count the patience of our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures see what Peter's doing here. Peter's saying there are scriptures. The holy word of God is known as the scriptures. And Peter is putting the written words of Paul on the same level as the other divinely inspired scriptures. And so the Bible testifies to its own inspired character, that the writings of the apostles are spirit-inspired. And so here we have it. This book, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Holy Scriptures, God breathed the divine written word of God. The only way to know Christ is this book. To know his person, to know his work, to know his glory. And therefore, it's also the only way to know the Father. Because no one can come to the Father but by him. This book is the only way to know the way, the truth, and the life. This book 
is the key which unlocks the door from the prison of sin. It is the lamp which lights up the darkness. It is the bread from heaven which satiates our hunger. It is the map which shows us the way home. It is the truth which sets us free. It is the knowledge which brings us back to the Father and back to eternal life. These are the Holy Scriptures. This is the revelation of God in Christ. To know the Scriptures is to know the Lord Jesus to know his glory, and to know his salvation. This is the word of God. And you have it in your hands. What are you doing with it? What will you do with it? Be careful, brother and sister. Be careful. We despise it. If we neglect it because we're just oh so busy with so many things, we just don't have time. God can take away what he has given. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Here's a judgment of God upon a people that has despised his word. They've been so busy with the things of this life and this world that they just haven't paid attention to the Word of God. And here's the judgment upon such ungratitude. Amos chapter nine, 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Brother and sister, the world we live in is not necessarily the way that the world will always be. Who knows? but that in some year's time we may be in some concentration camp somewhere with no physical copies of the Bible with us. We may be in some great affliction with none of the wealth of resources, scriptural resources, physically or even digitally available to us anymore. And we don't want to be in that position where we're saying, Lord, why didn't I take take advantage of the, all the riches that you gave me. Why didn't I spend more time in the Word? Brother and sister, there is no one on their deathbed that says, oh, I wish I had spent less time reading the Word of God. I wish I had spent less time studying the Word of God. So much wasted time. Nobody says that when they're in affliction and where death draws near. So we need to be diligent in in knowing the Word and reading the Word and studying the Word, but we have to do it the right way. We have to do it with the right goal. I'd like to ask you to turn to John 5, 39 here. You see, the Pharisees, they spent a lot of time with the Bible. It didn't do them a, a lick of good. John 5, 39 and 40, this is what the Lord Jesus says to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Well, there's a problem. If you're not seeking to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then Bible study is useless. And there are many great scholars out there that know the Bible back to front, but they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... The blessing of knowing the Scripture 
is only for those who are united by faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we know and love the Lord Jesus, then the amount of time and energy and priority that we spend in Bible study, in memorization, in reading, in meditation, in hearing the Bible explained, in hearing it preached, the amount of time and energy and priority that we put into those things is directly related to how much we know the Lord Jesus and love him. And so when you seek him prayerfully, these letters will not stay as dead letters on the page. You see, this is not just the record of what God has said, but these words are the living word of God. And when we read them and study them in prayer, the Spirit comes alongside And we experience the power of the Spirit that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you not experienced that? Where you're in some situation and you open the Word and you read a section that you've read maybe many times before and suddenly it pierces you and you say, You say, Lord, how did you know I needed to read that? It it, it speaks directly to what I'm facing. That's because the word is living, brothers and sisters. It's living and active. And when you seek Christ in the word, you will find him. And he is speaking to you. You will hear God's voice in the word. And when God speaks, things happen. When he spoke at the beginning, those countless galaxies sprang into existence. And when he speaks his word into your life, he lifts you up, he upholds you, he exalts you, he transforms you, he prepares you for infinite glory, and he makes you shine like stars in the universe as you hold fast to the word of life. How can we neglect such a great salvation? Let us praise him for his words of truth unbroken. Let us praise him that he is true to his word. Amen.